I mean, I had the dream like July 2015 and we locked picture August 2016. So like pretty quickly we were like, cool, we have the movie completely edited. The hardest part was for sure the two and a half years that followed that. Hey, thanks for pressing play. My name's Adam Klaus and this is my podcast, So You Work in Entertainment, the podcast about jobs in the industry with the people who do them. Today's episode is all about following your dreams, quite literally. Today's guest, Daniel Shar had a dream after his mom died, and he thought it'd be a great idea for a movie, so he went out and made it himself. The movie is Scraps. It's now available for rent on Amazon Prime, but you won't be lost in this conversation if you haven't seen it, because we talk about the process of making a movie, not really anything about the content of this particular movie. I've known Daniel for about 10 years or so. We met in the Chicago improv scene and we were friendly back then, but I think that this conversation is really the first time that we've ever talked at length. And I really enjoyed it. I wanted to talk to him because he wrote an article for Medium called, You Miss 87% of the Shots You Do Take If You're Me in 2019. He kept data on everything that he applied for to further his career or finances for an entire year. The link to that article and another one we mentioned here are in the show notes, which you should check out after you listen to our conversation that I take you to now. Hello. How's it going, Daniel? Good. Man. Daniel, Dan? Yeah, either's fine. Anything but Danny. So you work in entertainment? I'm trying to, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You say trying to, but you have a movie on Amazon Prime right now. I do. It's It was completely self-funded and self-released, so it feels dishonest. I don't know. I, I guess I have pretty strong imposter syndrome a lot of the time, and I'm very wary of presenting myself in a way that feels misleading. Like, I, I'm, I think I'm honest to a fault where, like, I won't let anybody kind of give me, like, there's the, like, yeah, technically, yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I should just, like, shut up and be like, uh-huh. Yeah. But I'm like, well, you know, here's, let me qualify it and explain to you that I'm actually not. Do you think that's a, part of that is a Chicago thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think in Chicago, there was a value placed on being humble. Definitely. And anyone who was perceived as being remotely arrogant or like proud of the things they did was generally kind of frowned upon. Showboaters, yeah. yeah. I've had to learn the hard way, I feel like, that once you leave Chicago and you're actually trying to get work in the entertainment industry, you can't be like, oh, me? No, I suck. Like, they're, yeah, they're gonna like, not, cool, moving well, on. All right, thank you for letting us know. We won't work with you then. Yeah, you saved us a lot of time. Yeah. It is true because it, w the first time that I was out here in a class, I think, and somebody was talking about all their accomplishments and just going on ad nauseum about like what ultimately was like, I was an extra in this, I was an extra in that. Mm -hmm. But the way that they say it, there's just like this kind of like LA sheen that you put on everything. Mm -hmm. And it really changes conversations. I've yeah. found myself having to play that of like, well, I've done this and this and this. And then it's like oh, like a, a breath of like, we can get on to the next thing because you know that I'm legitimate enough, yeah. but I'm not over the top of like, well, you should be so grateful that you're getting the opportunity to talk to me. Exactly. I feel like I've been trying to train myself just to not do exactly what I did at the beginning. <laughs> so I've already kind of failed, but to not undercut things, but uh, like it, you know, that's, that's the level I feel comfortable is like, I can state the facts of like, yeah, I have a movie on Amazon. Yeah. I'm not about to be like, it's the best. I'm so good at this. I'm crushing it. But, um, yeah, trying to just objectively be like, I have, yep, I've done these things. I've worked at these places. I mean, the multitude of hurdles that you have to get over in order for that to happen. A lot of people don't even like putting their work out there on right. any sort of platform to be judged at all and to go through all the hoops of, I mean, can you talk about the process of the movie is scraps and you yes. wrote and directed it? Yes. Can you talk about how that started and how it came to be? Yeah. In mid-July of 2015, I had a dream. I'd been having these dreams ever since my mom passed away, where in the dreams, she would be alive and well, and I would be so confused and be like, well, I thought you were dead. And it was always some sort of like, well, that was just a prank, whatever. And in this particular dream, it was, you know, started out that same way. And she's like, well, it was just a prank, but I am divorcing your father. And everyone in the dream was like, whoa, what? And we were like confused and laughing. And I woke up and like it kind of immediately in my mind, I was like, well, that could be a movie. Someone has a near-death experience and then instantly like 
everyone's lives get turned upside down. Because I'd been trying to crack an idea for like a no budget feature that was not really working. And so this, I think, because I was sort of already in that mentality, it it was like, oh, I could do this. And so within a month, I had a first draft of the script done and yeah, started getting cast on board pretty quickly and producer and a DP pretty quickly, like people I'd already worked with. And yeah, we ended up shooting it in January 2016 and releasing it in February of 2019. So wow, it took a long time. I was paying for everything out of pocket, but everybody worked for free. So I called in every favor I possibly could, had like a student crew and got all of our gear basically for free. So was able to keep the budget, like in total, I spent less than $6,000. Wow, that's really impressive. I'm proud of that more than I am of like the movie itself. I'm like, well, we did it. I give myself like a, an A for accomplishing that. And then, uh, you know, a much lower grade on the movie itself. But what, what don't you like about it? Um, I just, it, it I, I learned a lot from it about writing and, and directing. And it, it's just not, there are, there are things I wish I had done differently, like narratively and structurally. I felt like I sort of painted myself into a corner by it feels like a two act movie rather than like a three act movie. And I wrote a lot of stuff that like a lot of the comedy was dependent on callbacks. And so I could only there are things I wish I could have taken out in the edit basically. But then it's like, well, then this thing has nothing to stand on. And so there's you lose that joke later. So you got to have this like sort of weak point before for this to have any fighting chance of being a payoff. Okay. Um, so it just felt like a, yeah, I don't know. And it's, it's a lot of people just sitting and talking, which is, I mean, given the resources that we had, I couldn't, it's not like I could have done much else differently. So it's not sure. that it's not a regret necessarily. It's just like, well, I just know that moving forward, I want to write things that are more visually interesting and active and exciting and push myself to do that. Sure. Well, when I watched it, I read the article first that you did for Medium, right? The, uh, for I, the Sundance Institute? For the Sundance Institute. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it was a separate article for Medium. And I, I was really, um, I was impressed by that. The level of doing a, making a movie for $6,000 and it's not like a Oh, he kind of made a movie. Like it, it looks like a movie. It's right. all you went through all of the proper channels, and you can. I rented it. That is my ultimate uh, thing of like, yeah, he made a movie. I, I paid somebody to watch it. That's thank you for doing that, by the way. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I was going to contact you and see if there was like a cash option or something, maybe <laughs> keep a higher retainer or whatever. But in any case, I was very impressed with the, what you made out of what you had. And there was this clear, not in a way that took away from it. Obviously, I was shaded by the article. And so I already knew kind of the backstory of it. But the whole thing is is essentially five characters that takes place in a townhouse. Mm-hmm. And I, I was impressed with what you did with, Thank with you, what man. you had for sure. Appreciate it. And again to not lose sight of the fact of how many people have that idea or have that dream, like literal dream in this case, and then never do anything with it. Never even make a first draft of something. Can you tell me more about your writing process from having that dream to how does that start to get on paper for you? Do you start with that scene or is there an outline? Yeah, there was an outline. I think, so I had the dream right before I, I was actually on my way to Arkansas to film like a an indie TV pilot that some friends and I had co-created and been working on for a while. And so the the first people I told was like in the airport waiting for our ride in like Kansas City, I think. I, I pitched it to these two friends because at that point I had sort of the basic overview of it. And they were like, yeah, that sounds like it could be a movie. And then when we got back, I pitched it to my producer who had also like produced that pilot with us. And so getting that kind of like reassurance of like, would you want to work on this? And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay, then I am going to take the next two weeks or, you know, until August 1st, basically I have, I have that amount of time to outline this thing as thoroughly as I can and like think about the characters and come up with all that kind of stuff. Sure. And then starting August 1st, I'm going to write at least three pages a day for up to 30 days because that was a, a method that I had previously kind of used. I'd, I'd written like three movies in 90 days. Um, wow. Maybe earlier. I think it's that was in the fall of 2015. 
it must have been that uh, two friends and I devised this like accountability system where that was the goal was like write at least three pages a day for 90 days. And by the end of it, we should have three first draft features. Wow. And each time I had found that I would finish the script within like two or three weeks, like I wouldn't need the full month. And then I'd use the remaining days to kind of like go back through and revise it or start outlining the next one or working on the next one. So I, I like hit up those friends again and was like, Hey, I need to, I'm about to try to like write a movie that I, we're actually going to try to make. And so I would love to do another, like just a 30 day challenge of, you know, email check-ins sure. and trying to write at least three pages a day. So I think within like, I think it only took like 15 days or 16 days or something before I had a draft done and out for notes to people. And how much did the first draft change from with a shooting draft? Quite a bit. I mean, I think the the bare bones of it were were all the same, but yeah, I think it just got tightened and honed. I mean, it it sort of ballooned. I think the first draft actually was like maybe 80 pages, and then I went through six drafts total and like two table reads. We did a table read on like the second draft and the fourth or fifth draft. The final script was like 89 pages or something. So it, it things got fleshed out, and it was a lot of a lot of like character development stuff was like the main thing that kept evolving and like reasons for things happening. Sure. Yeah. So, and you used your friends for this, right? Oh yeah. Was there, the actors were improvisers, right? That's how you- Yes, yeah. It was all, uh, I couldn't have done this, I think. Like everybody working on it basically was doing me a huge favor. And so- my DP, my producer, and the cast were all people that I knew pretty well from doing comedy in Chicago and or working on other projects with these people already. And then my DP basically put the whole crew together himself because he was a grad student at DePaul at the time. Okay. I'd already made a web series with him and my producer. Like, like the three of us had worked together on a few projects. But he, so he was able to like pull in all these people from DePaul that he had either worked with and liked working with or who he'd heard good things about. And it was basically like, hey, who wants to build a resume and have a feature with, you know, the cast is really talented. So like it, we think it'll be good. And, sure. You know. Who uh, wants to roll the dice? Yeah, it's going to be a, is, yeah. a, a pretty easy, low, like little time commitment kind of thing. I think we had over 50 people helped out over the course of the like per, for including production and post because oh, wow. it was just sort of like yeah if you can even make it for a day that's great like we'll take any help any commitment level you're willing to give us so i think it was really only like our production designer was there almost every day and then we had sort of a main sound person who was there almost every day but then there were there was like one night of the week that she couldn't make and so there was another guy who filled in a few times but then PAs were all like a rotating door of other improvisers who I got to come help out and um, like, yeah, the grips and all that stuff were, were, were pretty rotating as well. Whoever you could get. Yeah. Was there ever a time that you wanted to give up on it? No, no. But the everything up from like inception through picture lock was like so fun and yeah like had pretty good momentum because we went, I mean, I had the dream like July, 2015 and we locked picture August, 2016. So like pretty quickly we were like, cool, we have the movie completely edited. Sure. And that was part of that was like, I'm moving September, 2016. So once <laughs> it became clear that I was getting out of town, I was like, I would love to have this done yeah. before I leave. The hardest part was for sure the two and a half years that followed that because it took so long and it felt like it just, there were long stretches of time where nothing was happening, which I had to accept because I wasn't paying anybody. So like, of course they're not going to make this their priority, Sure, but it just, it was really lonely and difficult to feel like so out of control of this thing that I so desperately like wanted to finish and sure. just have to like sit and wait and like be thankful that people were working on it at all basically. So even your editor, all the post people, those are, those are all volunteers. Everybody volunteered. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Very how lucky. You, how do you get, how do you start that conversation? How do you, how do you get that commitment from somebody? Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I don't know where I got off <laughs> thinking that, that was like an okay thing to do. I think in, I mean, that was certainly the culture in Chicago of like amongst all the 
sure. you know, performers was like, we we do shows for free all the time. So like, you're telling me I can be the star of a movie for free? That's better than doing a show. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of apprehension about asking people. I remember being nervous to ask people to do it. And I had to have a friend told me like, you're you're giving them an opportunity. I was worried about people missing their improv shows for three weeks. And he's sure. like, you're giving them a chance to be a lead in a feature film. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I see the benefit. Like, yeah, when you look at it that way, it's like, oh man, you didn't get to do the upstairs gallery or whatever right. the like flavor of the week of that right. type of theater is. Yeah, that, but I can see how that, it feels like a big ask. And you, you probably also are weighted with the responsibility of like, this better be good if I'm taking everybody's time for this. They're giving it to me. Yes. I think everybody read the script before getting involved, or at least like I remember pitching Joe Scott, the movie shoot stars as Aaron. She's like sort of the lead character and it's mm -hmm. mostly her story. It's like an ensemble film, but um, it's kind of her story. And she was the first person I brought on board in terms of the cast and... I talked her through like what the entire story would be and like her character arc and got some great like input from her on it. But I remember that was pretty nerve wracking just to be like, okay, like she has every right to say no. And if she says no at this point, it is probably just because she doesn't like this idea or like doesn't think this is worth doing. So I did feel kind of emboldened each time one of the actors would hear me out on what the idea was and, and then be on board. And same with like the the crew that our DP was bringing on. I think he sent them the script and they were reading it and then agreeing to do it. So it did feel like people were on board with with like the idea and thought that the script was funny and like worth pursuing, I guess. Well, I mean, they would have to doing. be right to, yeah. to give up their their time. Yeah. Um, so that's got to be a nice little vote of confidence as you're in the storm. Yeah, it definitely. I, I didn't feel... Um, I would say, yeah, so like it was all, things were great through that period. Uh, like production was was really fun and smooth and even post, even though it took a long time, like felt pretty good sure. throughout post. It also was a very different world, I think, when, when we made it. In what way? Just the... Uh, I'm not at all blaming Trump for <laughs> for anything that I'm not I I don't like the guy but um understatement uh <laughs> I just I the the climate of of the world was very different sure. when we made this movie versus when the movie came out like I, and it felt like to me even I was like well this is like this is very trivial and like it just I don't know there's nothing about it that's like well that doesn't hold up anymore but it just is like it almost was like, yeah, who cares? Like it was kind of the feeling of like there's, it, it felt like everybody, you know, there were much more important things happening in the world that, that everyone was like much more aware of. But that's always going to be the case, right? Yeah, I guess so. I, but I certainly had lived a very like ignorance is bliss kind of life, but it, it reached sure. a point where it's like, you can't really be ignorant anymore. Like there's no ig ignoring what's happening now. So yeah, I don't know. It just felt, it almost felt silly. But By at the, the same time, it it's out. not like your film tries to tackle an issue that is no longer an issue. Right. It's like it's not like you were being political about one thing and then there was this other huge lurking monster that came right. out the day after you released it. Right. What was the process like to get it on Amazon Prime? Yeah. So we went through uh, they have a service called Prime Video Direct, which is essentially like self-publishing, but for movies. So as long as you're as long as you meet all the like technical specifications and I think there are certain like content restrictions, maybe like you can't, it can't be porn. You have to have, everything has to be like legally, you know, copyright infringement. You can't, sure. can't have any of that kind of stuff. But as long as you more or less are playing by the rules, you can just upload it. And so it goes through a, I think like a review process. How long does that take? It should have happened fairly quickly, but we it took a while before they even like looked at it and then it was rejected because the captions were like five seconds off somehow. Like there was some sort of glitch where oh, like technical thing. Yeah. And so we had to redo the captions and then re upload, like resubmit and, and go through it again. And I think it took like another week or two after that. That seems pretty quick in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think it, I can't remember exactly how, I feel like from the time we initially tried to get it on there to the time it was like ready was like maybe four or five weeks or, or, or maybe four or six weeks, something like that. 
I, I still feel like that seems pretty quick given yeah. the kind of access that you're you're given right. when you have something up there. Right. And do you mind if I ask what kind of cut Amazon takes from that? Sure. It's uh so they give it's changed, but at the time it was a fifty percent of all like I get fifty percent of all purchases and rentals. Okay. And then the rate for like prime member streams was when I started, I think it was eight cents per every hour watched. Wow. But within a few months, they announced that they were changing the structure. And so you could get anywhere from four cents to eight cents per hour watch, depending on like this algorithm of that, that, you know, Some sort accounted of for all mirrors, these different yeah. factors that are unprovable on my end, obviously. And of course, every I was getting four cents every time. And I was like, all right, well, I, I kind of doubt anybody's getting eight cents anymore. I feel like they probably are giving everybody four cents. And then I think they've changed it again recently. Really? Yeah. And I, I don't remember exactly what the new thing is. I, I mean, I, it's, it's some way two for to them. four cents, right? Some way for them to lower it even more. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I think there was a period of time where people were making pretty good money on it because it used to be, you know, 15 cents per hour streamed or something like that. And okay. if, if people, uh, Amazon does have like a huge subscriber base and uh, even our movie managed to start accumulating a lot more views than I ever thought it could. That's like, okay, well, this has clearly made its way outside of my own social circle and is just like in the algorithm now and is being presented to strangers. Um, which was exciting and, and cool because I didn't spend any money on advertising it or marketing it sure. anywhere. So that was exciting. But it, it's that period seems to have come and gone. And like I think the most I made in a month was like a hundred fifty bucks or something like that. Like that was like the peak month was somewhere in that ballpark. I wonder why that is that people like I very very rarely check out random movies. Mm -hmm. I think the last one that I did this movie called Donald cried. Have you heard of it? Oh yeah. I love it. It was like, yeah, it instantly vaulted to my Rushmore of movies. Oh wow! And I have no idea why I selected it because it's an independent film from something like. There's just so much out there now, so yeah. it seems like everybody's attacking you from every angle with their subscription service or with this new series. Like, how many new series do you have to keep up on to stay relevant in these right. conversations? To think of picking up some sort of small indie film that you really know nothing about is it's like it's crazy to me that that exists but obviously people are doing it right did you try to have any sort of like clever marketing techniques to get people to watch or was it just like oh we made this movie and i don't know how we get people to watch it then yeah i, I kept myself busy during a lot of the post-production when i was like waiting for other people it was like what can i be doing and so i, I spent a ton of time trying to figure out what the right release strategy was and what the best way to get this you know, get as many eyeballs on this thing as possible. Cause the goal was never really to make money since I didn't spend that much on it. Sure. Um, and I was like, it's probably impossible to make that money back. Like the goal is really to have this be a calling card for everybody involved and hopefully it can open some doors for some people. Um, and so that was, that was always like the, the thing in mind. And I submitted to Sundance used to have this thing called the creative distribution lab that I think has now been dissolved. I think they'd done like one round of it and they were doing another and it was basically like they would give you a $25,000 grant. They'd set you up with like a guaranteed like six figure deal on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu wow. or whatever. And they'd give you like tons of access to advisors and mentors and all this kind of stuff, industry connections. And in, in return, all you have to do is provide a very transparent like report on all of like how you spent the money, how much money you end up making, all that kind of oh, stuff. Wow. And so I'd applied for that and had a really nice back and forth with this woman, Liz Manishill, who was like running it. And we weren't selected, but she was kind enough to kind of like give me insight as to why when I asked, uh, which she basically said, like, there, we were kind of like split on the trailer. Like, we weren't sure how, you know, if this was the right kind of project for us. She's like, I think it looks cool, but like, not everybody did. And I was like, honestly, thank you for telling me. Like, that yeah, is that's really great. That's super helpful. I can live with that. Like, yeah. I can definitely live with that. 
Um, cause I was worried I'd like shot myself in the foot somehow in the application process that I, I was like, what can I, that I reached out to be like, is there anything I can do differently for these grant applications? Because the idea that I had that like for creative distribution that I thought was pretty, I was like pretty excited about it. And I thought this was like a cool pitch was basically like, I wanted to do a dinner party screening tour where we would go to people's homes and have a meal with them and watch the movie and be there for like a Q&A or whatever. So like screening it for a host and eight to 10 of their friends at a time, just sure. sort of in people's homes since the movie takes place at a dinner party. It just yeah. felt like, oh, this could be cool. We could have a menu that is similar to what they have in the film. And this also, this idea came to me in a dream and I was like, well, the movie came to me in a dream. So I got to follow this yeah. instinct because I had a dream that Joe Scott and I were at some mansion showing people the movie. The importance of sleep, I think is the overarching <laughs> all of this. Yeah, it's that's like, really key. If you don't have an idea, just go to bed, man. Come to you. <laughs> I don't know if you're sponsored by Casper yet, but oh, I feel like... we're working on it. Okay, good. Yeah, this one is going to be the one yeah, that's going to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So that so you didn't end up doing the dinner party route. So no, so uh, I I continued to pursue that even though, you know, I wanted that twenty five thousand dollar grant to like fund that, and then I pursued a couple other avenues. I like reached out to there are a couple different organizations that are like dinner party based. They they throw parties for. Sure. There's one that is specifically for like people who have lost a parent, and I was like, hey, right here, j jackpot! Whoa. Like I lost a parent. I had a dream about her. It made this movie that's a dinner party thing, like synergy, let's do this. And they were like, no, thank you. <laughs> and then, what? yeah. And I, so there were a couple, I tried with a couple different organizations and I almost partnered with one here in LA, but it was just going to be too, it became clear. They're like, this is not a partnership. It was sort of like, yeah, you can use our service to do this. And I was like, well, I'm not, I can't afford oh, your service. Yeah, and yeah. so, so I ultimately ended up just, not doing that and that was i ended up just like renting theaters to do screenings gotcha in chicago new york and la wow so what was that process like that was fun it was nerve-wracking it was more expensive than the movie itself really I, yeah like i so by the end of production i'd only spent like eighteen hundred dollars i think i think it cost like twenty one hundred to do those three screenings wow. between like the flights that i had to take to Chicago, New York and renting the theaters and the one in Chicago, we had to have production or like a event insurance, I guess it was. Oh, sure. And so, yeah, those three screenings cost me more than making the movie itself. And I, I will say that is like a regret that I have is just that I, the goal of those was like to experience it in a theater and have fun, like seeing an audience see it. But also in my mind, I was like, cool, well, this will be like, this will also double as like our marketing. Like I can get like word of mouth going sure. by having these screenings and asking people who come to the screenings to like tweet about it or tell friends, whatever. But m my regret is that I was too impatient and I did all that. I did those screenings well before we had any kind of release figured out. And oh, okay. so... I think I did the Chicago and New York screenings kind of like on back-to-back -back weeks in May of 2017. And then the LA one ended up being in like September, I think, of 2017. And then we didn't release until February 2018. Wow. Or uh, 19, no, tw 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe those scrap screenings were in 2018 and not 2017. Yeah, they would have been 2018. So, But it was still like several months. And it was like, well, all the... Anybody who might have like left and immediately tweeted about it isn't really doing it anymore. Like it's, yeah. in the it, world that we live in, if, yeah. it, if it, I didn't get a notification about it 30 seconds ago, it didn't happen. I literally, I was with, I ran into somebody the other day who was reminding their friend, like we went to his movie with the, and they were like, what was, oh, oh yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. It, uh, Check it out on Prime Video now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's like the one regret I have is like, I wish I had had enough patience and like self-restraint to like do those closer to an actual release. But, but I feel like anyone can understand where you're coming yeah. from with that. It's like, you work so hard, you put so much into something, you just want people to see it. And I was so ready to be done with it yeah. and like get it out. So yeah, the first second, I mean, that was the other thing we kept, the sound mix wasn't even fully finished before those screenings mm. and yeah, so we kept, I mean, and that was like at the screenings, like realizing like, oh yeah, that 
we still need to clean this part up and sure yeah and i think we tweaked color stuff as well after the screenings so it was it was really just like i was so chomping at the bit to like feel done and be able to move on but yeah get it out there yeah so as of right now, what is, do you have any, is there any ongoing involvement in this or is there any, is that, is it just kind of out there and now you're moving on to something else or? Yeah. I mean, writing that, uh, so that woman, Liz Manichel ended up inviting me to write an article about my experience for the Sundance Institute. So that is the, the article that you read was sort of, she brought me in to do that, which was really nice. Sure. And that was a super cathartic experience that did kind of help me. I think it's the closest to having closure on it that I could get because it, it felt like it enabled me to be like, here's kind of everything I have to say about this. And now I can move on. Uh, now I can like really move on. What, what does that look like for you? What are you moving on to? Are you writing something else now? Yeah. I've been trying to write a lot of stuff. I mean, it's, I feel like I've been trapped in like a rewrite loop of okay. like, there's like two pilots and two features that I have been ping ponging around for the last like year or so and just keep kind of rotating through and getting notes from people and rotating and yeah. What is your writing process like? Is it, are you like a morning writer? Are you late night? It kind of varies. I guess when I'm at my best, it's really more like in that like three pages a day mentality of like, doesn't really matter when I do it. I just, as long as I get it done at some point in the day, like if I can get a certain amount done. So you don't have like a specific time that you set aside for your writing? No, time. not so much. Uh, lately, what's been really helpful, I realized that I I had gotten into this habit of like getting up in the morning and immediately kind of listening to podcasts. And that I've realized is the same as if I were to just like put on a movie right away. Like yeah. I'm not, my brain is not working on anything if I'm listening to podcasts because I'm just listening to them. Sure. So in the past like month or so, I've been making a concerted effort to start with music, like just immediately put on music. And like, I, I have to like, let not let myself, like I'm so tempted to listen to podcasts because I love them, but I'm, I have to like force myself to put on music and think about the things that I want to be working on. And it's been such a huge game changer because last year I did not really feel like my creative output was up to the level that I would want it to be. Okay. And I, I already feel like in the past month of, of forcing myself to listen to music instead of podcasts first thing in the morning, I've been so much more productive and like feeling so much more creatively charged. Wow. Good on you for experimenting with that and yeah. kind of figuring out what it is. I feel like a lot of times people get stuck and maybe I'm just talking about my experience here. Mm -hmm. It's like you get stuck and I'm like, oh, damn, I'm stuck. Oh, I'm so frustrated. That I'm stuck. And you don't do anything to get unstuck. Yeah. And then you're still like, oh, I'm still stuck. I don't know what's going on with this. Yeah. Because I feel like I have to be very regimented in like first thing in the morning. It's I start reading. Reading is like my music for what you were saying. It seems to like get me like clearing out my brain in a good way. And then it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. Whereas I feel like I used to be, it's so easy to just like open your phone and get to emails. And you know, if you responded texts, you got through the night or whatever like that, it just scatters me yeah. completely. And then the whole rest of the day, it's just constantly trying to put out fires and mm -hmm. not really ever feeling like you settle into a groove and that you have kind of control over your time. Yeah. So, what you also have done like a lot of crazy side jobs, right? It, there's an article yes. on Medium, right? And it's yeah. c the title of the article is "You Miss 87% of the What's I'm uh, Yeah, I, I think it was uh, "You Miss 87% of the Shots You Do Take If You're Me in 2019." Yeah, yeah. it's a fantastic read. Oh, thanks, um, yeah, it was really great, and it the 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 level of dedication and determination to keep the stats you essentially kept stats on all of the jobs that you applied to yes um or like even like gig opportunities type yeah of so yeah the criteria that i came up with when i decided to do this was basically any effort i make to further my career or make money so it ranged from like paid survey opportunities that I don't care about at all to like, okay, I'm submitting for a writing job on Conan. Like, sure. and so it was everything in between. Quite the spectrum. Yeah. And, um, I would just immediately update this spreadsheet that I had as soon as I applied for anything. And I was making it my mission to like, 
I think I'd, I'd read a few articles from people who, uh, like writers who had had a lot more success and been a lot happier because they shifted their perspective and made it their goal to like get a certain number of rejections in a year. Oh, interesting. And by reframing it in their mind that way, they were putting themselves out there more often, like apl- submitting stories or whatever to places that they knew they were going to get rejected from because... sure. Good. That's my goal is to like get 50 rejections. I win. And then every time they get rejected, that's actually a success because that's the goal. Sure. And then, oops, I accidentally got accepted also. Well, that's cool too. Like that's not a failure. That's just a sweet little byproduct of me on this mission to do this thing. So I had that in my brain and I think I'd read that like years ago and I had like tried to adopt that mentality informally, like not without tracking everything. I was trying to just like, well, yeah, it's actually it's a good thing. If I just put myself out there, that's good. Sure. And so, yeah, I'd been applying for stuff for like a couple of years and really not feeling like I was getting anywhere with any of it. And so I think part of it was driven by spite of feeling like nobody was getting back to me and wanting to be able to prove that. Sure. But also just kind of for my own sanity, be like, am I imagining that? Or like, am I being dramatic or is nobody getting back to me? And yeah. Yeah. I, in 2019, I had... 1,086 things on the spreadsheet, and I think 70% of those resulted in, like, no response whatsoever, which was, I mean, did not feel good at all, but was, like, comforting in a way of, like, okay, I wasn't making that up. Yeah. I like how you're like, am I crazy? I don't know. I'm going to find all, I'm going to compile all (laughs) the data. Let me be really crazy and (laughs) find out if I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I sort of drove myself mad doing this, um, and I didn't. It, I got really frustrated near the end of it because people were like, "Hey, more yeses than noes," and I'm like, "Yeah, but it this doesn't feel good at all, and it's not indicative of like." So that was that happened sometime near like August or September, I think, and I realized I needed to, or. <laughs> not needed to, but I like got even crazier and was like, I'm going to come up with an emotional impact score and rank everything (laughs) on this spreadsheet to try to get a little more nuance to this. And so out of, you know, the scale ended up ranging from negative three to positive three. So out of like a negative 3000, whatever to positive 3000, whatever, like as the possible emotional total of my year, I finished with negative three, negative three. So just a tiny bit below the smack dab in the middle of like a neutral kind of bad outweighing the good. Wow. And you have all the data to prove it. Yeah. And that felt more accurate of like, yeah, this is, there's, there was a handful of like positive threes and a handful of negative threes, but most things were zero. The overwhelming majority of them, I think it was like 86% or something registered as zero, which was just meant to me. Like I couldn't remember it or I know I didn't care about it or the pros and cons out like, you know, canceled each other. Sure. Out. And that to me was like harrowing to, to realize like I put so much time and energy into all this stuff and 86% of it really didn't matter to me at all. Like, sure. And that feels like such a waste of time. Definitely. And energy. And so I've been more discerning. It like taught me to be a little more discerning, but it also, I've continued to kind of apply for stuff and like continue to take these research surveys. That's what the majority of these things were. I feel like most, I think like two thirds of my acceptances were these research survey things that were meaningless. Um, but they're a way to make a little bit of money. And like, what, how much money are we talking? It ranges. Average? I mean, there were some that were like $10 there were some that were like literally 300 bucks. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, it, it varies. But I, I've st- I'm still doing all that, but not fixating on th- like not tracking it in any way has yeah. been huge. Has just been like such a relief because I can take one of those surveys. I took one this morning that took maybe like four minutes, oh, well. and then I didn't think about it again. Like it, it is, I don't have to then spend two minutes adding it to the spread. Like yeah, you so, don't have to answer to it at all yeah and there's no record of it I can just forget about it and I don't have to like document it in any way and that's been so great I can just get right back into what I want to be doing just so you know that's how most people do it (laughs) I know (laughs) most people don't have Excel spreadsheets on their life and Um, they shouldn't but I feel like there we need people like you who did it because that (laughs) article I was like this is so fascinating 
that he actually to think of all of it of like you so you have a terrible day and then you still have to answer to that spreadsheet you yeah. got to put in your inputs bud uh really impressive what are your what was a what made a three talk about some of the things that were in that pool in sure. terms of good gigs the ones that stood out were getting the movie on amazon was a like even though i there was a bit of like a an underwhelming feeling to it and sort of like a, Oh, this didn't necessarily open doors in the way that I had hoped it would and all that kind of stuff. It just being like done with it. And sure. it's like, there's literally no more work for me to do on this other yeah. than try to get people to watch it. That was a huge weight off my shoulders after, you know, three and a half years of, of work. And then I got a job in a writer's room in November. And so that was huge that was that's like what i came here to do and that's what i've been wanting to do this whole time and so it took like three years basically but it was it felt amazing and reassuring in that same like you know am i crazy for moving out here like it seems like i i thought i could do this but nobody has has given me a chance to and so to finally get a chance to was like oh thank god like i'm Someone, someone agrees that I, I have proof that I belong here, I guess. Sure. Um, so that was huge. That, that really um, was well, a game changer also that kind of like salvaged the year sure. in a way. Do you want to talk about what show it was? Um, I don't think I'm allowed to because it hasn't been announced yet. It was gotcha. just a, a pilot um, and just a writer's assistant, like researcher kind of thing. Um, and so they're shooting it soon and I guess we'll find out if it gets picked up in a couple months. And how did it, how did it come about? Through a friend. It was a close friend from college had worked with the showrunner on a few different projects over the years. And she told me that she gave him my info and was like, sorry, it's like maybe kind of a weird gig, but I was like, thank you so much for doing it. And then the call I got wasn't even really like an interview. It just felt like sort of like, here's what the job is. She says you're good. I believe her. Like, I was like, great. Thank you so much. So it really did feel like some of that, that LA nepotism you hear about so much. Oh, for sure. Um, but I, I will take it. And I was happy to reap the benefits of that. Finally, If, if I've learned anything, it's that connection. Like you got yeah. the job because you were the guy who was there when they needed somebody mm-hmm. and you may not be the best at it, but he does it. And it like, we move on. I, I feel like there's, there's more to be said about being in the right place at the right time yeah. than in terms of having the right skills. Right this has been a recurring theme of like, well, I knew somebody who knows somebody and they put me in touch. And no matter how loose that kind of connection is, like sometimes it's, oh, this person that I talked to at a party, I guess a couple of years ago. Right. And we really connected over this one little thing and they remembered that. And then this came up and now I'm, I'm doing this, um, is like, I don't know. I think the, the inclination is to feel bad about that. Right. But that's the way the world works. That's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. My sister has always said that. She's seven years older, and I feel like since I was in high school, I've been hearing her say, like, it's all about who you know. Yeah. Does she, is key. she in entertainment at all? Uh, she's a musician. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And has also had a bunch of weird side jobs along the way. But, sure. But I think a lot of those side jobs and things that she's done throughout her life have been just because somebody brought her into a thing or, or yeah. hooked her up with a thing. And so it's proving to be very true. Yeah. Well, and I think that the difference is in terms of success rates is like you put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. You you had this dream and you made this movie and putting those like the article, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation if right. it weren't for your 87%, you know, you miss I miss 87% of the shots I took in 2019, which is a fantastic name for an article. But there are people who don't put themselves out there and, and are sitting at home wondering why they don't have opportunities because they're not creating them for themselves. Right. Was there a gig that you took that you thought was going to be a lot better than it than it was? Probably. That's a good question. I I mean, I feel like every like acting thing that I booked, like it's so much more fun being on set with friends. Like sure. I've I've loved making all the things I've made with friends. <laughs> and yeah. then just like being a hired actor on a production where I don't really know anybody, those experiences are often a lot less enjoyable. There's been a few where it's like, oh, this was fun and people were cool, but a lot of the times it's like, oh God, like this is a nightmare. I feel trapped just having to sit here and wait. Yep. And I don't 
like the people I'm around, but I can't get away from them. And I just, yeah. Isn't it so funny? I feel like a lot of people have that experience of wanting something so badly. I mean, in your case specifically, you, you said you want to be a writer, but yeah. acting is pretty adjacent and you, I feel like it's fair to say that you learned writing through acting, right? Being an improviser in Chicago. Yeah. And so you get to that moment, you're like, oh God, this is it. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I had that moment. I, I was on a set and there was a producer standing in the doorway of the trailer where my bag was. Mm-hmm. And I was at like the, the bottom of the steps and I was going to go to get my bag. And he was just standing there, like looking at me, like, what's your problem? <laughs> and I was like, oh, can I go um, get my bag? And he's like, I don't tell you what to do. And I was like, what? Yeah, but you're standing in the middle of the doorway <laughs> right now. Like, it, it was, it, I mean, this was probably five years ago, and I still think about it fairly regularly. Yeah. Because nobody gets to that position by not wanting to do what they're there to do, right? right? I mean, that's there's a lot of people who want that job. And I told myself that I was never going to let myself get that, like, pissy and bitter and just, like, beaten down by life. Yeah. And I don't know that I've done a good job of that. But I <laughs> still, like, like there's an awareness there, which I feel like makes it a little better. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there's some personalities I mean, there's also jobs on those sets and everything. It's like, yeah, your job's a nightmare. Have fun. It's yeah. a 14 hour day. Enjoy it. Yeah. So, what are like the big takeaways from making your own movie, putting it up? What are the big things in that process that you feel like now for your second one that you do, you can kind of cut corners and and learn from your past experiences? That's interesting. I've I've certainly thought a lot about the writing lessons that I gained from it but I'm trying to think like I mean I think expectation wise I think I uh, delusional is like a word that comes to mind and just like I think you have to have that hope right like you, you like you have to hope that it's going to be everything you want it to be and be like this magical key that unlocks all these other opportunities that was like the the hope and the goal but I think just the reality check of like especially because in Chicago it was like I was the only person making a movie. Like nobody yeah. around in the community was doing that at that time. Mm-hmm. There, a few people had done it before. I'm not saying I'm the first by any means, but like it just was, it was a thing that people were like, whoa, cool. And like it impressed people. And then I think like I thought it would have the same effect in LA and I thought I'd, it would kind of help. I'd have this like smooth transition where it's like, yeah, well, I'm moving out there. I made a movie. So like people are going to be ready to work with me and I get here and it's like, yeah, everybody moved here because they made a movie where they lived before. So it doesn't, no one cares. Like it it means nothing to people. Sure. Especially with the movie turning it out how it did. It's like, yeah, this is not blowing anybody away. Um, And so that was like a tough pill to swallow. That was just sort of like, yeah, I got my, I think I like got my hopes up and felt like a little too delusional about like what things might look like as a result. It was like a reminder of like, "Mm, just keep your head down, do the work and whatever happens, happens. But I mean, that was my big takeaway from the 2019 experience with the spreadsheet was like, yeah, I am not a person who thrives when I start thinking about results in any way. I am at my best for sure as just as a creative and as like a human being if I can stay focused on just like all I can do is like work on the stuff that I want to work on and keep doing that as much as possible. And, but the second I start fixating or thinking about, you know, the outcome, yeah. I'm screwed. Yeah. Like when you're shopping for yachts online because of all your (laughs) riches from, from the latest blockbuster that you finance yourself for $2,000 effectively. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. I had no like financial, it was not that at all, but it was like, oh, people are going to want to, like, I'll be able to get her like a writer's assistant gig, no problem. Yeah. And it's like, no, you can't. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's a, nobody knows how to get those jobs, but somehow they get them. Yeah. They have a friend who worked with a showrunner and who's like, who's already got her own job and therefore is like, what about this guy instead? And he's like, okay. Yeah. Who's also probably pulling their hair out, needing somebody to hire. And then when that name comes across their desk, you're like, oh, thank God I can move on to the next thing in my day. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're sitting on the other end of it feeling like your life has changed forever. Oh yeah. And I'm like chasing every, like it was, I had looked for jobs so obsessively all year and applied for things like crazy. And then like the best thing I got all year was this thing that somebody else was like, here, have this. Yeah. I was like, 
oh, thank you so much. Like, I'll take it. But it was like, what was all this for? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this is how, I don't know. Yeah. You're like up, updating your Gmail storage because your spreadsheet's getting so huge. <laughs> I'm close, man. Yeah. You're hitting your cap. Yeah. What, how long was the writer's assistant job? I think it started in November and I still have had some sporadic days of work even as recently as like last week. So there may be some more possibly, but it's it's kind of unclear and it's it's been very like piecemeal because it is a, a low budget thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you feel like there's anything that you did specifically to help you in the, the writer's room? Was there maybe a skill or something that you didn't think would be relevant to that experience, but it actually came up pretty big for you? Uh, I think in Chicago, I had a tendency to be like the most organized kind of like point person on all of these projects that I worked on. Sure. So I did like three web series projects and a TV pilot presentation and this movie. And my producer, Nicole, was involved in, in like all but one of those, I think. And she did a lot of the organizational scheduling stuff. But I guess I assumed sort of this, like I was the note taker pretty much. And okay. I also just had all the documents sort of like organized into different, you know, the, uh, I was the Google Doc king and the, all the folders and all that kind of stuff. So that all came in very handy and was like, yeah, I'm used to being the one taking down notes and figuring out how to organize everything. And I was very grateful that like all those projects sort of trained me for even though they were much less formal environments it was still like cool I know how to be in a room with other creative people who are pitching ideas and I know when it's appropriate for me to speak like I had that sure intuitive feeling of like this is not my moment but I felt really good about finding my moments where I was confident in pitching things and those things ended up like getting used and and that was like a big confidence booster sure but I was mostly proud of the fact that it was like yeah I knew I like knew when to shut up and I didn't I don't think I ever like overstepped or made myself a nuisance in any way and um, I was proud of that kind of more than anything sure yeah that's huge to be able to read the room yeah as a kind of a newcomer to that right I appreciate you taking the time and making the time to have this conversation. Uh, congrats, man. That's that's not an easy feat to do everything that you've done and are currently doing. Thank you. Man. Um, and it's really uh, it's really inspiring to see. I appreciate so, it. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. So there you have it, Daniel Shar's unconventional take on sleeping your way to the top. I kind of like it. That conversation was recorded in early February, and as of April 27th, he's still working as a writer's assistant on the show he mentioned that he couldn't really mention. And the details of that are all still unmentionable, but there's no harm in me mentioning the update I mentioned. And yeah, that was all for me. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and subscribe, and leave a review if you're so bored in self-isolation that you've run out of things to do.